Well, good evening. My name is Tony. Um, I'm a junior youth director here at City Reach. I'm uh, here on Friday nights around on Sunday mornings. Um, been a lot of you might have recognised me from last week when I was hosting, but there's been a lot of new faces this year um, found, and uh, I hope to meet you soon one day. That's my part. Sorry for that if you don't know who I am. That's my fault. Uh, tonight I get the uh, pleasure of preaching with. Look, you're not preaching with me. I'm preaching to you. Um, I get to preach God's word to you tonight. Uh, looking at Romans chapter six, uh, uh, this is that those verses for us. Uh, I want you to imagine this with me. Um, Andy Dufresne from The Shawshank Redemption. The most highly rated movie on IMDb. Arguably uh, the best movie of all time. Uh, Stephen King classic novel. It's a story about a man wrongfully imprisoned for two life sentences. <clears throat> now, after spending 20 years in prison, 20 years, he manages to plot and work his way out of Shawshank, a corrupt and awful prison. He manages to crawl his way through 500 years of the sewer system of the prison and make his way out the other side, escaping the prison during a thunderstorm. And in easily one of the most memorable and touching scenes in movie history, there's the scene where he crawls out of the sewer into the rain and he extends his hands to the heaven. He's free. Finally, he's free. He's free from Shawshank Prison. And what's even better, the story continues that the, the corrupt warden who made life so difficult for him, the evil guards, the people that were abusing him and making those 20 years so miserable for him, they get their just deserts. It's a beautiful and touching movie. And this scene is the, the, the climax of the movie. But imagine this. Imagine that Andy comes out, he crawls out of the sewers, he's finally free, finally free from Shawshank. And there's this beautiful orchestra of music playing and then cue the record scratch. Forgive my invitation, the record scratch. <laughs> but imagine that scene. And then the music stops. And then he goes, you know, actually, I, I think I'd rather just crawl back into those sewers and back into the prison. I think I might crawl back into Shawshank Prison. It feels good in there. It feels comfortable in there. Now, can you imagine that that was the story of the Shawshank Redemption? It'd be more like the Shawshank disgrace. Stephen King would have gone bankrupt with a story like that. And we scoff at that thought and we giggle, you know, wouldn't that be a funny skit of SNL or something? We might laugh at that, but this is what we do. If sin is Shawshank prison, and Christ, through what he's done on the cross, has set us free from Shawshank, he's set us free from prison, he's given his life so that we can have freedom, and we praise him for his freedom when we sing songs like free free forever we're free in one breath we say that and in the next breath we look back we look back and we say i wouldn't mind going back to Shawshank. i wouldn't mind going back to my sin i wouldn't mind going back to that evil warden that dictated my every move that told me when i can eat and sleep and go to the toilet where i was abused and and, and beaten where I was manipulated to do what I did not want to do. This is what we do. If we are children of God, we are submitting to sin, by submitting to sin, we are acting like Andy Dufresne crawling back into Shawshank Prison. 
Why? Why do we do this? If sin equals death, if sin equals prison, if sin equals despair, why would we submit to sin? When it says that Jesus has defeated sin, why do we think that sin has dominion over us? It's insane. This is the insanity of sin. As Ollie said last week, it just doesn't make sense. And in verses 1 to 7 of chapter 6, Paul, chapter 6, Paul says that now that we are in Christ, we are not free to sin. No, no, no. We have, we have freedom from sin. And he comes to verses 8 to 10 and he says, Look at Christ. Look at what Jesus has done and how he has defeated sin and death. He's defeated sin and death. And in verse 9 he says, We know, we know if we are followers of Christ, that, we have, that we, if we have died with him, like it says in verse 8, like Ollie explained last week, the picture of baptism, dying to ourselves and being risen again, alive in Christ. If we are alive in Christ, then we know. And I emphasize the word know, and I'll come back to it in a sec. We know in verse 9 that when he rose from the dead, he's never going to die again. Death ain't the boss anymore. Sin ain't the boss anymore. Jesus is. And in verse 10, it says that when Jesus died, he killed sin, he killed its power, he defeated the power of sin and paid the penalty of sin. Paul says we know this. So because we know this, what verse 8 to 10 says, therefore we are now living in this victorious life of freedom that Jesus has won for us. Paul says we know this. This is the fact. And we say, well, you, you might say, like I said before, really? Is sin really defeated? Is the power of sin really defeated? We might, we might not confess that with our mouth. We wouldn't dare do that. But in our hearts, we fundamentally believe this by the way we live our lives. We don't believe in our hearts that sin is defeated, that the power of sin is defeated. And Paul says, we know, we know that Jesus, what Jesus has done for us, therefore, that lets us live a victorious life of freedom. And we say, well, yeah, I know Jesus did this for me, I'm aware of it. But shouldn't I be living a victorious life? Paul says we are living in a life free from the power of sin. And it's confusing because if that was true, if that's true, Paul, why am I still addicted to pornography? Why am I still lazy? Why am I still bitter? Why do I still have my sinful habits? It's confusing because Paul says in verse 12, don't let sin reign. And you're like, I'm trying. I'm trying, Paul. And in verse 14 he says, sin will not have dominion over you. But Paul, it feels like sin does have a hold on me. I feel like Morgan Freeman on Shawshank Redemption, he's reflecting on how if you spend long enough in prison, you become institutionalised to it. And even if you escape prison, you still feel entrapped by its walls. Okay, okay, I know that the doctrinal truth of God's word says that we know that Jesus has defeated the power of sin and paid the penalty of sin. That might be the doctrine. But I don't feel like that. I don't feel like I know that in my heart. Because it doesn't feel like I have freedom in the power of sin. It doesn't feel like I have victory. In fact, it feels quite the opposite. It feels like I'm a prisoner to my sin. 
I've been in it so long that I feel institutionalised and there is no true escape. I might be able to escape prison for a few days, but I feel like I'm on parole. And if I break that parole, I'm just back in prison again. Paul says, I should know this. But if I know this, I still can't shake my sin habit. It feels like a prison. A prison and a rule that I escape sometimes, but then I'm just back right back where I was. And it begs the question, how can I be free? Can I be free? Can I be free from my sin? Paul says yes. And God's word says you can. And it's going to be hard and it's going to be a grueling daily process. But the good news is, is that God has done all the hard work for you. And this is my statement for tonight, what we're going to be focusing on tonight. We can be free from sin by changing our mindset, dethroning sin, and yielding to Christ and His power and glory. How? How are we going to do all this? How are we going to be free from sin by changing our mindset, dethroning sin, and yielding to Christ? How are we going to do it? Look at verse 11. Because we know what Jesus has done, done, he's done all of this for us, is what verses 8 to 10, a lot of Romans has already speak, spoken about what Jesus has done for us. Now that we know this, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The first thing we need to do to be free from sin is to change our mindset. See how it says, consider yourselves. Now, to consider something isn't a task. It's a change of mindset. Now, I know that some of you uh, might be thinking, hang on, Tony, if you guys have been reading Romans, you know that justification comes through faith. And right now, your little doctrine alarm's going off. <laughs> this sounds like works. And to begin the process of having victory, having freedom from my sin, I need to change my mindset. So meaning, if I succeed in defeating sin, that's thanks to my intellect. And if I don't succeed at defeating sin, I must be stupid. And the cycle will become worse. Your greatest critique of yourself is yourself. And sin capitalises on that. Making you sin again, making you feel more stupid, making you sin even more. Now if you're thinking this, that changing your mindset sounds like works, like it's based on your effort. Well done, you have sound doctrine. As Timon says, sound doctrine is better than quiet doctrine. <laughs> but I, I answered your question with this. If you've read Romans, you also know that justi justification comes through faith. And where does faith come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. So you, if you are in a position to stop and consider and have a change of mindset to stop and think that's not thanks to your intellect that's thanks to the Holy Spirit Amen. Amen. because the Holy Spirit works not just in your heart we think the Holy Spirit works in our heart but he works in our mind also Paul calls us in chapter 12 of Romans to be transformed by the renewal of our mind not to be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of our mind Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Sin attacks your, attacks your mind, so we need a change of mindset. And guys, I firmly believe this. Um, I'm willing to be proven wrong 
through God's word, but I firmly believe that the Holy Spirit needs to be working in our minds long before he starts working in our hearts. Because our minds are wrecked by this thing called the interweb. We are so messed up by our devices. Now you might want to argue with me. You can go ahead. I point you to Ollie. He believes this also. <laughs> Read a book. Ruthless Elimination of Harry. Watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix. Google Syndrome is a real thing. I've experienced it in my own mind. If you don't believe me, talk to anyone else here um, who's a pastor. They, this is true. It's real. Just a funny story. This is in my notes. Um, I had a boy. I asked some boys for the Bible study. He said, how can I pray for you guys? And they're like, oh, I just want to pray for me. I've got really bad teenage, teenage hormones. I've got a really bad attitude. And I was like, oh, thanks. Thanks for being really nice. He said, yeah, my parents say it's because of my devices. And that just makes me more angry. <laughs> <laughs> Living in today's world and today's culture, we need a change of mindset. Because today's world is insane. And this is the insanity of sin. To live in sin under the power of sin when Jesus has defeated it. We need to change our mindset and to realise and consider that this is not who we are. Insanity is a mental condition of the mind. So we have to change our mindset. We have to stop and consider ourselves. Once we did consider ourselves dead to sin, we have to stop and consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We need a change of mindset. The next thing we need to do is we need to dethrone sin. Look at verses 12 and the beginning of verse 13. Did you know? Did you know? And this is why we need to change our mindset because we need to reframe the way that we think. Did you know that sin isn't the boss? Sin isn't the boss. The first year of um, my apprenticeship was really tough. Um, I was copying really awful um, workplace bullying and abuse from one guy in particular at work. And every time I'd stand up for myself and feel like, oh, wisdom not throwing things at you. Um, I shouldn't talk about that up front, but that's the way that he acted. Um, guard my heart a lot. But um, this guy was abusing me, he's bullying me, and one day my boss wasn't at work and uh, this guy, I put the wrong piece of timber on the scaffold and he kicked the timber off and it hit me in the neck. And I just flung around. I said, don't start throwing things at me. And he's like, oh, I didn't mean to. And I said, I don't care. You're not my boss. I copped enough verbal abuse from me. Don't start throwing things at me. And that night, uh, my boss wasn't there at work. We came to the trailer, packed up the trailer, and I went to my car. And I saw in the rear view mirror the bully remonstrating with my boss, like pointing at me, pointing at where the altercation was. And I knew what he was telling me. He was telling him, sack that apprentice, sack him. And my boss was just sitting there taking it all in. And my boss had had a lot of problems keeping apprentices. I wonder why. The next morning, uh, we rocked up to the, the job site and we started unpacking my boss's trailer. Then the bully rolled up in his, his car. And my boss went right up to the bully. And I couldn't hear what he was saying, but he had his finger in his face and the bully was up against his van like this. And the boss finally put his foot down and said, you are not the boss, he is not your apprentice, keep your mouth shut. Because newsflash, 
you are not the boss. Newsflash, sin is not the boss. Sin is not the king of you. Sin is not your master. It is not your warden. It is not your prison anymore. Now, I'm not belittling sin at all by speaking lightly of it. I'm not trying to do that. I'm not saying things like this and, and belittling sin. Sin is a big deal. It's disgusting and it is against God. And that's what makes sin so bad because sin is insufficient compared to Jesus. It is inferior compared to Jesus. It is nothing compared to Jesus. Jesus defeated sin. But what makes sin so bad is that, and serious is that we will choose sin over Jesus. We will submit to sin over Jesus. Even though sin is not our master, we are no longer enslaved to it. It is not the boss of us. We still treat it like it is. <clears throat> Making it so wrong. Even though sin is in our master, we let it reign in our hearts. Like verse 12 says, Paul's pleading with them, don't let sin reign in your hearts. And we obey its passions. And we behave like robots, obeying what it tells us to do, letting our minds be in a trance. To do, what it, to make us do what we don't want to do. Our members, that's what it means, members of us, the parts of our body, obey sin's commands to. And I, I often think of, when I think of this verse, or sometimes I think about sin and the action of sinning, I think about that song, Well, be careful, little hands, what you do. Well, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Have you ever gone to do a sin? So this isn't a question, because I know you did this happen to you. It's happened to me. Have you gone to do a sin? You've gone to commit a sinful act. And you've gone to do something with your hands. And something inside of you says, something inside of you screams, I don't want to do this. I don't even want to pick up my phone to message this toxic person. I don't even want to pick up my phone to look at something I shouldn't. I don't even want to see what I'm looking at right now. I don't even want to walk to this party and drink myself silly. I don't even, with my mouth, I don't even want to be arguing back to my parents what I am. That's because sin isn't you. It's not who you are. Your flesh and your body is obeying something that is not your master. Paul himself says in chapter 7, that I do not do what I, I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Mm. Paul himself says that. And you might say, well, if sin is not my master, then why does my flesh obey it? Why does my body obey it? Even though Jesus won the victory so long ago, why is this still an issue in my life? Listen to this analogy from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He asks us to consider a typical British country scene with two fields enclosed by high rock walls. Every person begins, begins life in one of those fields. A field ruled by a sin. We have no chance of scaling the walls and escaping the field on our own. But God in his grace reaches down and takes us out of that sin-dominated field and sets us down in the adjacent field, a field ruled by Christ and by righteousness. A decisive change in our position has taken place. We have a whole new relationship to sin. However, as Lloyd-Jones points out, we can still hear sin calling us from the wall, from over the wall in that old field where we used to live. And out of long habit, 
we sometimes still obey his voice, even though we don't want to, and even though we don't have to. Out of long habit, we sometimes still obey his voice, even though we don't want to, and even though we don't have to. Just because it feels as though sin is our master, doesn't mean that it's true. If we have accepted Jesus as our Saviour, then He is our Master. It doesn't mean that we don't always listen to Him. Just because our parents are authority figures over us, they have the power over us, doesn't mean that we listen to them. Just because Jesus is our Master, Jesus is the King, doesn't mean that we listen to Him and we acknowledge Him as King. It doesn't mean that we don't listen to sin sometimes and obey His commands and passions out of habit. And this is why we need to dethrone sin. Yeah. It doesn't belong there. Yeah. It doesn't have the power over us. Yeah. We need to dethrone sin because it is an awful taskmaster. It is cruel. It is manipulated. You wake up in the morning and sin says to you, you know what you're doing today? Everything you don't want to. It wakes up in the morning and it has set out your day for you. You don't want to yell at your wife and lose your temper today? Guess what? You're going to. You don't want to bug and nag your husband and let your emotions rule you? Guess what? I've decided you're going to. You want to read your Bible? Not going to happen. You're feeling insecure today? Feeling anxious? You should be study, studying, shouldn't you? Here, pick up your phone. Pick up your remote. Look, 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 look. look she's good looking, isn't she? Do you want her? Do you want to be her? You don't want to give into that sin anymore, do you? You don't want to eat that food again? Sin whispers in the ear, yeah, I've already decided you're going to have a bad day. Because sin says, I'm the boss, and you're going to do what I say. And because our minds have been wrecked and moulded this way, we don't even argue. It's not a fight, and out of habit, we do what sin says. And this is why we need to change our mindset and we need to dethrone sin. We need to say to sin, you're not the boss of me. Jesus is my king and he's my master and he has defeated you and he's defeated your power, so get down off that throne where he belongs. Mm. Okay. One thing I want to note quickly is dethroning sin is an action. It's an active verb. Why do I stress this? Because I think if you're anything like me, you're going to subconsciously think that if you um, have enough righteousness in you, then the unrighteousness in you will have no choice but to cower in fear and walk away. You think you can overpower your sin with good works. You think you can overpower your unrighteousness with righteousness. And sin will have no choice but to leave you. The more I read my Bible, the more I pray, the more I'm around righteousness, the less unrighteousness will be near me. But once again, newsflash, sin isn't going to leave you. You need to leave it. Sin on this side of glory is never going to leave you alone. It is just as addicted to you as you are to it. In fact, the longer you walk with God and hang around righteousness, the more sin and unrighteousness will have a hissy fit and pursue you further, pursue you harder. Like, Rabbi Zacharias, anyone? Come on. Don't think that because you're more righteous that the less unrighteousness will hang around you. Sin will never leave you. You have to dethrone sin 
by the power of God, you need to dethrone sin and leave it. You need to leave sin. Don't think that sin will leave you. So we need to change our mindset. We need to dethrone sin. And we need to yield to Christ. I like the word that King James uses for these verse, for the first verse 10. It says, But yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members of instruments of righteousness unto God. See, to the world it would seem foolish to submit to the authority of anyone. It would seem like a prison to yield to anything and to give up your rights. But once again, stop thinking like the world. Have a change of mindset. Being a slave to Christ and yielded to Him isn't bondage. It isn't prison. It's freedom. And again, this is what makes, prison, makes sin so awful, is that we would choose the bondage of sin over freedom with Christ. Because Jesus isn't an evil dictator. But He is King. Jesus isn't a cruel manipulator, but He is kind and loving. Where sin is an evil taskmaster, taskmaster Jesus is our friend and king. So why not give the throne of your heart to the one who won it? Why not dethrone sin and let the one who has the power, who won the victory, to take his rightful place on the throne? And you may be feeling that, what sort of ruler would be happy? What sort of king would be happy to see me yielding to him after I've been yielding to someone else who wasn't the rightful master? This is some words from my, one of my favourite bands, Reliant K. Um, I Hate Consequences, from the last bridge. Mm. When I got tired of running from you, I stopped right there to catch my breath. There your words, they caught my ears. You said, I miss you, son, come home. And my sins, they watched me leave. And in my heart, I so believed. The love you felt for me was mine. The love I wished for all this time. And when the doors were closed, I heard, no, I told you so. I said the words, I need you knew. Oh God, oh God, I needed you. God, all this time, I needed you. Everything that you're looking for to be fulfilled in your life by listening to sin is found in Christ. And when you come back to him, he's not going to be looking at his wife's going, I told you so, I will find you when you're going to rock up. He's not going to do that. Christ is there waiting for you with open arms. I think sometimes, as I referred to with the um, oh, be careful little hands what you do, we think that the song should go, uh, oh, be careful little hands what you do, oh, be careful little hands what you do, for the Father up above will squash you like a bug. <laughs> That's what we think it is. That's how we behave. But it's not. It's the Father of God is looking down in love. He's waiting for you as he watches you commit these acts and go against what he designed you to do. He's waiting for you to come back to him. He is not a hard taskmaster like sin. He loves you. He's obsessed with you, whereas the sin is addicted to you. He's full of unmerited grace for you. Full of grace and as it says in verse 14, it's not about grace anymore, it's, it's not about law anymore, it's now about grace. And he fulfilled the law. And this is how Paul summarises this in verse 14. Don't let sin have dominion over you, because it's not your master. Instead, offer yourself to Christ, 
and acts of righteousness because of what that's what you were intended for. That's what you were made for. And Paul continues later in chapter 12. Offer your body as a living sacrifice to him. So we can be free from sin by changing our mindset, dethroning sin and yielding to Christ. As we close, how can we apply these things? You know, how do we actually change our mindset? How do we actually dethrone sin? And how do we yield to Christ? So just as we close, a few practical things that we can apply, that we can determine to change in our lives. Number one, limit time on your devices. Honestly, if if you truly want to change your mindset, have a fast from technology. Whatever it is that you do too much of with technology, have a break. For the glory of God, cut it down. Or even better yet, stop it completely. And don't dare say that like, that church opened down the road to a cult-like behaviour that told you don't have social media. It's not what I'm saying. I'm not, on, I'm not that old. I'm not an old guy saying, like, internet today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm not that much older than you. I've experienced what's happened to my mind. I just encourage you, and besides, from what I gather, most of you would honestly say, yeah, I don't even know why I have this. I don't even know why I have this phone. Can I just give you an encouraging push in the direction you've already headed? That by the, by the power of the Spirit in your life, stop talking about letting go of these things and just do it. Pick up a book. Read a book and pray instead. Number two, engage your community. I was reminded um, of the story of Lazarus, thinking about this. See, Lazarus was a dead man made alive through Christ, much like we have been made alive in Christ. But Lazarus still, when he was risen from the dead, dead, still had his grave clothes on him. And he walked out of the tomb in his grave clothes, and Jesus said to the people around him, unwrap him, Come on, go help him, unwrap him. So we may have been made alive through Christ, but we still have some grave clothes hanging on us. And we need community, we need people around us to help us. Sometimes um, accountability in churches can be overemphasized. It doesn't mean as much as what we think it does. Uh, we sometimes emphasize it more than accountability with God Himself. But I encourage you, if you have no one in your life that you can be honest with, if you have no one in your life that you, you see as your mentor, someone you can confess into, who can keep you accountable, ask you the right questions. I encourage you to get a mentor. Engage your community. Number three, know your doctrine. Know your doctrine. We're talking tonight about doctrine that we should know with our mouths, but we don't act it out fundamentally in our hearts. But how are we going to act something out fundamentally in our hearts if we don't even know it in our minds? Know your doctrine. How are we supposed to uh, fundamentally act out the fact that we have power, that we have victory over sin if we don't even know it? Number four, remember that this isn't the end. This isn't the end. This is going to be a daily process. In my experience, I've I've had the pleasure of counselling some young men through their sin. And one thing that's saddened me sometimes is that they'll have a groundbreaking moment and they'll come to me and confess their sin and then a few weeks later they're so dejected because they went back to where they were. And this is just an endless cycle. But don't see a time when you have power and strength 
in, in the Lord over your sin as a time of that's it, it's all over. See, I'll see you in glory. It's going to be a daily process. Remember that. It's a step in your journey of sanctification and being conformed to the image of the Son. Number five, read a psalm today. Now, I would say read Father today. Yes, do that. But the reason I say read a psalm is because there's no excuse. It's easy to read a psalm. Read a psalm a day. They're usually short, they're easy reading. Why a psalm? When you read a psalm, often there's something in there about the psalmist asking God to crush his enemies and break their bones. It's not very relatable, is it? But what I want you to do is relate the enemy to your sin and let God deal with your sin. Relate to the psalmist when he feels he's defeated by his enemy. But celebrate with the psalmist when God has crushed your enemy. Take joy in your rock and your fortress. Number six, consciously confess that Jesus is bigger and better than his sin. And I found this incredibly helpful. When you are tempted to sin, say out loud, Jesus is bigger and better than this. Jesus is bigger and better than this food I don't need. He is bigger and better than the feeling of power that I might get by losing my power, losing my temper, sorry. He is bigger and better than the pleasure I'm going to get in indulging my flesh. Jesus is bigger and better than the feeling of acceptance that I'm going to have by indulging my flesh. So limit your time on devices, engage your community, know your doctrine, remember that this is at the end. Read a psalm a day and consciously confess that Jesus is bigger and better than this thing. Can I pray? You go. Dear Lord, I thank you for your amazing goodness and grace. And if we've been in church long enough, we know that these things to be true, that you've defeated power, you've paid the penalty of sin. But Lord, we don't act it out in our lives. So we just ask for your, your spirit to strengthen us, open our, our minds to the fact that we need to change our mindset. Give us the strength to dethrone sin. And let us yield to you willingly every day. There's a hymn, um, it was too late to ask the youth band, the, the band, the band to play for me. But I thought that you'd be just as good to read it out. And so I'd encourage you guys, if you want to read this out, listen to it, and say it to the Lord as a prayer as I read these words out. Take my life and let it be, consecrated will to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of their life. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing, always only for my King. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from them. Take my silver and my gold, not a might will I withhold. Take my intellect and my use, every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine, it shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be your boy with 
Take my love, my Lord, I fall at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only good for thee, ever only good.